the fire. It's getting even more and more brash. They're becoming even more arrogant in the way that they do these things. And they're getting away with it because we're not fighting back. And God could have stopped this. He could have not had you go through this, but you did. And it's a terrible thing, but this is part now of your story. You survived it. You went through it. And you didn't back down. And your wife didn't back down. And your children saw you all stay together and stand firm and stand in faith and fight back. And you didn't back down. Welcome to Through the Fire, cutting through the passions, clearing the smoke of the cultural confusions of the world today. Talking God's love and God's solutions from a biblical Christian worldview. And now, here's your host, Marie and Gregory Seltz. The doctors are in. Hello, hello, I'm Marie. (laughs) And I'm Greg. Welcome to Through the Fire. We are on the case talking about the tough issues in the culture today, facing them with some psychological and theological explanations and applications that we hope will bless you. Yeah, uh, Marie, I think today's program, too, is going to bless many people. It's a story, a real-life story of courage and faith in the face of of a powerful and evil uh, adversity. Yeah, it really really is. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... I mean, just think about that, powerful and evil, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is a real-life story about that. Today, we're going to talk with another father who faced a truly threatening situation to himself and his family who didn't back down. No, he didn't. You know, fathers are called to be providers, teach responsibilities, teach accountability, be involved and take interest in their kids' studies and interests and teach them values, discipline with unconditional love and expectation, which is not easy. Mm -hmm. And fathers are called to show love and respect to the mothers of their children and to protect their family. Yeah, and like we've talked about many times before, I mean, a father's role in the family is a pivotal one. He's called to be a leader and a protector of the family and to give an example of Christ love. And he's called to be strong in the faith mm-hmm. and, and bring up his children and knowing what is right from wrong. And he should always seek to put his family even before himself. Yeah, and I can say as a husband and a father, you do that for us. Oh, thank you. You really do. Fathers are called to do all of these things we just mentioned. And we're going to be talking today about all of this in our episode with our guest, Mark Hauk, who is a father of seven seven <laughs> children, okay? Yes, and indeed. he recently defended and was acquitted of two charges brought on by the Biden administration due to an altercation with a planned parenthood escort named Bruce Love on October 13, 2021. That incident prompted the inappropriate federal FACE Act charges brought against him by the Biden Department of Justice. And FACE Act stands for Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. Right. So welcome, Mark, to our program. Great to be with you, Greg and Marie. Thanks for the invitation. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine your story. But, but before we get into that incident that occurred on October 13th, which was quite disturbing for me to watch as a mother, uh, please share with us a bit about yourself. I mean, what was your childhood like? Yeah, she's taking you all sure. the way back, Mark. Yeah, I want to know what yeah. your childhood... Because, listen, <laughs> I, the I'm a therapist. The courage to be you, yeah. Yeah, listen, the courage to be you. That's exactly what it is. Yes. Because I, I, I'm telling you, when I watched that... Okay, I have personal things in it, too. Maybe I'll share in a minute. But I've, I've stood out and, you know, I worked in pro-life demonstrations for many, many well, years. Well, you were in clinics, too. So. I, yeah, I served in clinics. I've, I've been in front of... I've, 
peti- done petitions. I've done all of that. I've encountered so much hatred. It's amazing. So watching that with your son next to you was really huge. And I want to know from where your strength came from. So just, I am, and I'm a therapist, just real quick, what was your childhood like? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, uh, I'm the youngest of, of five children. Oh. Uh, and I grew up in, in rural Bucks County, which isn't far from New York. Uh, it was a, it was a, it was a great childhood. Unfortunately, it was interrupted by uh, a premature death of my father. He passed away when I was 11 years old. He was buried on my 12th birthday. And so, uh, I really grew up at a very critical time in a young man's journey Mm -hmm. and his initiation into manhood, 12 years of age. Uh, he wasn't there. So, um, I was very highly invested in sports and athletics and I had, uh, great mentors, coaches, if you will. Uh, but, they, you know, there was an absence there. There was there was an emptiness there uh, mm-hmm. that only dad could suffice. So I've dedicated my life, not be, for that reason, but maybe it's it's probably was the genesis of why I would even be open to it in the first place, mm-hmm. uh, where I have for the last 20 years of my life, I've been I've been serving men and uh, running a full-time men's ministry that helps men deal with fatherlessness, deal with father wounds and mm-hmm. all sorts of things um, that I've had to go through myself. But um, I, I can't say that was the the impetus, but it's certainly the background there. And mm-hmm. um, I got a BA in, in uh, business from Catholic University in Washington, D.C. I got a master's degree in education, and uh, I worked in juvenile justice for a while. So mm-hmm. I, I, I've kind of worked with youth and taught youth but um, I was really convicted on the life issue when my mother, uh, who was probably my best friend growing up because there was no dad, right. uh, showed me a picture of an aborted child. And this was in 20, probably 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was four or five years out of college. And, and uh, I said, I don't want to see that. And she said, you have to see it because if you don't see it, you won't do anything about it. So my mother led me to that awareness. And, um, and of course, that was that grew into a, a desire to stand in the gap and and go to those places that ultimately are part of my story that we're going to share today. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just I left teaching after one year of teaching and coaching uh, at a public school and, uh, and and entered full time into ministry. Wow. Uh, Matt, you know, I didn't know any of that background. Yeah, you see, that's why I asked the question. She, like, you know, she, always, she always gets this out of us, Mark, so be, be very careful because this is the way she works. <laughs> but, but see, but that, that, that makes people no, want to listen to his story. story. Yeah, exactly. Because you give meaning to it. Yeah. And, you know, you, you've chosen to live a life that is authentically who you are and whose you are, right? Mm-hmm. So sure. you, you serve in a way that is purposeful and meaningful and and like you said, I've never heard you. I've never heard that expression before. You know, you said, "Father." How did you say that? Father wounds, or how did fatherlessness? You, father, father, father wounds. Yeah, yeah, fatherlessness. Father wounds. I'd never heard father wounds. Of course, fatherlessness, but father wounds. My goodness, I mean, and and the fact that you're doing this with the, the young men today, which I have to say, our society is just, I, in my in my opinion, and the and according to the a lot of the clients I've seen. You know, it's a punitive society for, for, for boys right now, for masculine boys. And, and and you don't even want to say masculine, which is their nature. You know, they're being taught and, and lauded to be effeminate. And it's just, it's awful what's happening. So anyway, I'm getting off the topic. But thank you for sharing that with us. So sure. when you talk about standing in the gap, so that day, um, that day you are on the corner with your son, right? One of your sons. Yes, my oldest. And you were praying, I understand, right? What were you doing? What was that day like? 
Can you just walk us through that day? Sure. Well, so I'm, I'm a cradle Catholic and, and that's so important to my story because that's part of my life. That's who I am. Uh, someone who prays daily, someone who uses his rosary. And, and on that day, my son and I, we take our weapon and I got the same weapon on me that, you know, I, I brought that day. Uh, and we and we go pray that rosary and, and, yeah, and we the were weapon, praying you, it in Latin. Go yeah, ahead. and you just held up the rosary just because if people are just listening, the yeah, weapon sure. he's talking about is the weapon of prayer in the in the rosary. Yeah. Yes, the, what a powerful yeah. thing. Cross. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, the Lord's prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so it's a chain to heaven, if you will. So uh so my son says to me, Dad, let's pray it in Latin. Because he, you know, oh. we're home we homeschool, right? So we teach Latin. Uh so, our audience will love that. We're big homeschool. <laughs> That's people. right. Yeah, yeah. So so he says, Dad, let's let's pray it in Latin because the devil hates Latin, which I'm like, okay, this is great. So we're we're praying in Latin. And um, after about 45 minutes, um, uh, two girls come out of the abortion mill that we're at. And uh, of course, we begin our, our outreach, which is why we're there to pray and to do sidewalk counseling. And my son will help me with that. And sidewalk counseling is nothing more than someone walking alongside someone trying to give them encouragement either before or after they leave the facility. And in this case, they were leaving the facility and we have a pregnancy resource center that's right next door. So I was walking and talking with them as my First Amendment right allows Mm -hmm. uh, and taking them, essentially escorting them to that resource center when a volunteer from Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia uh, decided to uh, intervene and uh, disrupt that engagement, which was strictly against the policy of, uh, of uh, Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, having worked in counseling um, centers for the uh, crisis pregnancy centers, listen, there's a, fa- uh, a lot of misinformation out there. Uh, whenever uh, a a person comes into these centers, we are not trying to talk them out of what's happening. We pray with them. We tell them what the process is. We try to provide resources for them from the beginning to even after they have their child, you know. And so what you were doing and ushering or, or, or praying with them down there was to make sure they were okay. Because listen, after a, a person has an abortion, there is a huge potential for an immense amount of guilt and depression and shame. And so for you to be praying and ushering them that way down to, to have prayer, to have counseling, was a, a beautiful, loving thing to do. It was not judgmental what you were doing. No. And, you know, for this person to come and confront you like that, when, by the way, I want you to say what the distance was that you were, how far away you were. You were not blocking the entrance. You were not doing anything to threaten these, these people, were you? Uh, we never we never do that anyway. But I was fifty feet from the gates of the building, uh, which is essentially the entrance, and uh, yeah, there was there was no one being blocked from anything. If anything, my uh, I was uh, exercising my rights under the Face Act to to escort a girl to a pregnancy resource center. Mm-hmm. So it it applies to both and even to churches right. uh, with uh, this Face Act. And how old is your, was your son at this time? At the time, he was twelve years old. Okay. All right. So this 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 man, uh, Bruce Love, was it Bruce? Is yeah. That? Okay. Inter- interjects himself. Inter- yeah. He, he, I, he, I, I see him in the video coming down to see you and you tell him to leave and then he comes back again and he keeps on. Why is he talking to your son and addressing your son instead of you? I found such cowardly thing to do, by the way. So so this is the second incident. The first incident I described was was what preceded this, which was not captured on video, which uh, the, in the trial, we learned that Planned Parenthood destroyed that. But nonetheless, uh, they applied the FACE Act uh, on that first incident, which I described. 
after that initial altercation, which was just more of a bump of two people, you know, you're going to stand in front of somebody you're going to get knocked into. Uh, and, and then there was that. Uh, we returned to where we were and Mr. Love went back into the building, um, came out about 20 minutes later. And that's what you see on the video is him coming directly towards my son. Now, this isn't the first time he's interacted with me. I've known him for 20 years. Mm. Uh, he's talked to my son over 40 or 50 times. Every time he does, I tell him, don't talk to my son. So it's not like my first encounter with the man. He okay. knows me. He knows my son. And he knows what we're all about. On this day, he came and stood directly next to my son, which he's never done before. Uh, and he never he never stands there. They stand at the gate. And again, we're 50 feet from the gate. So he comes directly intensely into the personal space of my son. Now, of course, he's entitled to do whatever he wants. He's a, it's a free country and he can he can walk wherever he wants. But no grown man and no man in general or grandfather, for that matter, would want to probably scare or intimidate a child. In this case, my 12 year old boy. It did make my son nervous. Mm -hmm. I took note of that. Mm -hmm. He was addressing me. We were having conversation, as wasn't most charitable probably at the time. But nonetheless, we engaged. Mm -hmm. And then he started directing his attacks against my son and against me through my son wow. and trying to manipulate and coerce and, and convince my son that what we're doing and what his father was doing was bad evil and harmful to women at which point i told him you have to leave go back to where you normally stand and that's what you see on the video me literally escorting him back say yeah. go back there just leave us alone yeah you know you don't need to do this and then uh of course he does comply and then i turn around and now what was first amendment rights really become a father's rights and at this point i'm just there to protect my son i'm not that's thinking right. about abortion i'm not thinking about women i'm thinking about my son and his constitution and right. and what how he's dealing with all this which isn't isn't in a good place right now right. right he turns around addresses my son and i turn around and what you see on the video is i push him right and again that was it that was essentially what was used against me for a, a, a two ch charges uh, uh, uh against the face act freedom of access to clinic entrances mm -hmm. with up to 11 years in prison three hundred fifty thousand dollars in fine and three years supervised probation Okay, so whenever you're, I'm looking at that and I see him doing what he was doing, and of course can't hear it, right? And so thank you for explaining what we, what the interaction was and how what he was saying to your son. And I, I, I figured as much that he was saying things about you to your boy, which mm -hmm. is horrific. First of all, think about your son. He's out there saying, don't kill babies, right? And your son is himself a very young person. All right. So this is a fearful thing already, but also one where he is under the protection of his very strong father. Right. And, and it's something that he's seen you do for a very long time. Even before he was born, you did this mm -hmm. and he knows this. So he has this huge expectation of of protection being with you and it's going to be OK and he can practice his values and he can assert what he believes and he can pray for people. And it's there was something about acting out your faith and you were in no way threatening. This man comes and he starts talking evilness about you to to him angry in a way, in a way that he'd not been like that before. Your son is, is like you said, you were observing his, his fear, and he, he got behind you, didn't he? Yeah, he, he moved away from him. He was an arm length, arm's length away, and then he shuffled behind me after he recognized that it was not a good situation. Right, and so as a father, as a father, you're called to protect your family, right, and defend, right. defend your family and defend those things, and you had no choice. At, at that point, you you I mean you repeatedly said to this man to go back, and he didn't. 
which is it's such a cowardly thing then for him to bring up these charges and then for the Biden administration to use it so inappropriately. But it even gets worse because, well, first of all, before I go into that, you talked about you losing your dad, okay, and the void of that and how you determined to model or be the kind of father you wanted to be, right, and and how you, you've done that to the best of your ability. What all at that moment as a father was going, because you had to be really controlling yourself for a very long time before you decided to just push him. You didn't punch him, by the way, which a lot of people would have done. <laughs> uh, what was what was going on? What, was, what were you thinking? Because as a dad at that moment, because you had to shift, like you said, you had to shift. Well, we always show forbearance when we're at a, a prayer vigil. We, we recognize that we're going to be spit upon. I've literally been spit upon. I've been mocked. I've been derided. I've been you know, told all sorts of nasty stuff. And my son, I think, was even taught the F word mm -hmm. at, at this community down there. So, you know, as a homeschool dad, there's there's a lesson there that I'm teaching my son. And even in the midst of that depravity and, and bad behavior, I can still control the narrative and I can educate right. him and filter it all through the lens of the way of Christ and walking with Christ and just uh, just knowing that you know, blessed are those that are persecuted. So keeping that in mind, of course, I'm going to show forbearance. I'm going to show a good temperance in the midst of all that, because they're the ones that are angry. They're the ones that are upset. They're the ones that are wounded. Mm -hmm. I cannot be that way as I'm trying to minister and counsel and offer support. Mm -hmm. It has to be loving. It has to be compassionate. It has to be merciful. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we never say, you know, don't kill your baby. We say, let us help you. Mm -hmm. um, here, here's my baby. Here's my babies. Look at them. And then that's why I bring my son because he's a baby in certain sense. And look at this fine young man. And look, this is, this is what you could have here, you know? Yeah. So I bring my little ones there too at times. Right. So in this instance, I, I had to, I recognize that it, it, unless I intervened, it was not going to stop. Mm -hmm. So he gave me no choice, as you said. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, my wife said to me, you did exactly what I want, would have wanted you to do in that situation. I'm not going to let you take my son down there if you're going to expose him to this type right. of treatment and not deal with it. Right. right. You know what? Okay. And so now let's jump ahead a little bit because I I think even the, the state of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, they recognized that you were in the right because they didn't bring any charges. They knew this was a superfluous lawsuit and, and they backed away from it, which is sure. why this is so egregious that the feds got involved in this and then did another thing uh, that, that harmed your family and right. demanded something of you as a father. Not only did you have to stand in the gap for you know your son and for these women and all these different things as a father and as a man of God, but now here you are with the federal government uh, creating a scenario now that, that really is what led to your case and your exoneration. Talk right. a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, on September 23rd, 2022. That's right. So um, so on, on the municipal state level, uh, everything was dropped in the Pennsylvania Police Department, Philadelphia Police Department, the DA. No one wanted anything to do with this. Uh, five days after a dismissal at the state court level, I got served a target letter by the Department of Justice, Eastern District of Philadelphia. And basically, that target letter said you're a target of a grand jury investigation. Mm. Uh, that was April 27th. My attorney contacted the assistant U.S. attorney in the Eastern District and said, look, you have no case. My client is innocent. There's case law even in your own district against this. But should you want to indict him, no need to bring an agent out to his house. He'll come down peacefully. We'll bring him to you. 
no worries. He's not a flight risk. He's going to just, he'll comply with whatever you need. Now keep that in mind. So about five months goes by and we're compliant with very little at this point. They're not asking much of us. I get a call in August of uh, 2022 from my attorney, who's a former federal prosecutor himself. Mm. And he says, have you heard from the assistant U.S. attorney? I said, no. He said, well, neither have I. She won't return my phone calls. Now, bring it to Friday, September 23rd at 6.45 in the morning. This is the next time I hear anything from the DOJ, the Department of Justice. They're banging on my door. Now, I don't even know it's them. It's dark outside in Philadelphia. We're getting up for homeschool co-op that day. I got a quiche in the oven because real men eat quiche. (laughs) And and they're banging on the door. Wow. And they just say, and they ring the doorbell repeatedly and alarm the whole house, seven children all still asleep. My wife barely stirring uh, says, open up. And they don't even say who they are. They just say, open up. Of course, I'm not going to open open up up. to someone who doesn't declare who they are. And then I go to the door and I say, who is it? And they said, banged again, really heavily and hard on the door and said, open up. It's the FBI. Uh, I said, okay, stay calm. Haven't been in juvenile justice. I, I, I stay calm. I have seven babies in here. I come out. I show them my hands. And I look at the circus, which is on my front yard and property. There's 15 marked and unmarked units. About five federal agents that I later learned were federal agents with long guns, M16s pointed at me, heavily armored vests, ballistic helmets, ballistic shields, a battering ram, and all these cars parked around the side of my house on my grass. My daughter takes note of someone at the back door ready to come in. And I look at this and I say, what, what are you doing here? Yeah. And they say, well, you know why we're here. I said, I don't know why you're here. Because I wasn't even thinking indictment because yeah. the, I thought they were dropping it. Right. So I said, oh, I know why you're here. You're here because I rescue babies. And I looked at all of them. And, and the flood of peace that came out of my home, that is our home, must have been upon them because no one reacted. No one said anything. I'm surprised they didn't shoot me or put me on the ground and right. cuff me there. Right. My wife comes down and says, uh, do you have a warrant for his arrest? Calmly, but forcefully. And they say, we're taking him with or without a warrant. Now, this is the attitude of the people coming to my home about me, intending to humiliate me, intimidate me, scare me. That's scare exactly my what they were doing. Act of pure terror on the part of the federal government mm-hmm. and my wife says you can't do that you can't you can't arrest him without a warrant a gunpoint that's kidnapping she would said right mm. at this point i i recognize that i'm i'm going to be taken into custody regardless and i say well can i go brush my teeth and i put some deodorant on because i'm in shorts and flip-flops on a cold september morning t-shirt no no can i put a shirt on no can i put pants on no can i get socks on no uh can i get my rosary Yes. <laughs> they let me get my rosary. So I was in a car within 15 minutes of black suburban and uh, my wife was gathering stuff and I was gone. I didn't have a chance to say goodbye to my children. My children are screaming in tears. My son's yelling, don't take him. He's my best friend. They're my traumatized. Son. The kids traumatized. are traumatized. We need to call you for therapy after this. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I'm being so, serious. Um, I was going to ask you if they offered, if you were offered any th- therapy because it's, 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 no, this is not, that's not, it's, I'm, I'm being very serious. You should have had therapy afterwards. This is very traumatizing. Yeah. 
We did so, some healing work with a good priest who's, who's gifted in the area of trauma, but we need to do more work. The four-year-old, the three-year-old, the six-year-old at the time, he, you know, they, they can't express their feelings. No, they can't. It's a, it's and, a, and they don't know how. And it, it manifests itself with screaming. It does. it does. It manifests itself with reenacting what happened right. in a weird way in their play. Of course. So the older ones, you know, can talk about it, but even that, even them, they kind of compartmentalize it and it's hard for them. Yes. So uh, but anyhow, we're still working through that. But uh, I went down to the federal building, which is a hundred yards from uh, uh, the, the independence hall where all our rights were established. And I was belly shackled and shackled in my ankles and chained to a table in a white room for six plus hours. Now, I'm in their custody. I don't know why I need shackles on my feet, but they had every intention to release me on my own recognizance. What does that tell you? I'm not a threat to the community and I'm not a flight risk. So they are doing all this in the midst of of uh, just trying to gather data. Now, mm-hmm. they manipulate me and coerce me to give over information I was not comfortable giving, which they told me I had permission to 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 not offer if I felt uncomfortable. They did the same to my wife via phone. Um, so they got the information they wanted. They treated me like an animal. They humiliated me. They brought me down to the U.S. Marshals, and they treated me even worse there. I was treated like a convicted felon. Uh, I, there was no innocence before proving guilt mm-hmm. in a court of law. Uh, I was a convicted felon, and they treated me as such. I will tell you, there was a bright spot, though. On the way down, we talked about homeschooling. The driver talked about homeschooling with me, and I was encouraging him. He shook my hand in the federal building. He said, it was a real pleasure meeting you. Wow. And I thought that was kind of telltale about how the man felt about the situation. Mm-hmm. I asked him, do you normally come to people's homes with 30 agents or, or state troopers? And he said, sir, we know nothing about you. We just we just have a warrant for your arrest. I said, I find that very hard to believe that the FBI doesn't know anything about me before they come and arrest me. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a little bit of an insight into the Department of Injustice at this point. That's right. Of injustice well, is right. And let me just say this. Too. I've been thinking about this. I, this is my take on because I, I do religion. Just liberty and, and all these different things on the Hill, and we had talked about this before in another program, but you think about this. When we had the rogue cops doing what they did in Memphis, where was that at? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those guys, when it, when it came to light that they did what they did, they lost their jobs. You know, those guys are going to go on trial. The people that stuck these guns in your face and that intimidated your family and that actually traumatized your children, no one's going to suffer for this. No one's going to be held accountable for this. Thank God you didn't get convicted of this. It's ridiculous. But this is the kind of stuff we Christians, we got to start standing up, not just for ourselves, which I think we do, but we got to start standing up for our society because this is just not the way this is supposed to work. But, you know, it is hard to do. I mean, we do need to do this, and I think... That's one of the reasons we're doing this program and bringing this situation to light because, listen, it's getting even more and more brash, I think. They're becoming even more arrogant in the way that they do these things, and they're getting away with it because we're not fighting back. We're not doing it. But it's so tough because if you're a parent, which you are, which I am, then it's also not just impacting us. It's impacting our families. Right. Sure. And they don't want strong fathers because strong fathers stand up to this. And that's why I wanted to talk about, I mean, I, I, the title of this, of this episode today is Father as Protector and Defender. And, you know, and you, have, you do that right now. You're teaching men how to do that. And, and maybe, you know, listen, God could have stopped this. He could have not had you go through this, but you did. And it's a terrible thing, but this is part of now of your story. You survived it. You went through it. And... Listen, you're teaching people 
right, how to do this and how to face the worst of things. And you just experienced one of the worst things. Mm-hmm. Helplessness. They, I mean, they bound you. You couldn't do anything. And you didn't back down. And your wife didn't back down. And your children, you know, they saw you all stay together and stand firm and stand in faith and fight back. And you didn't back down. Yeah, and to just say how your faith actually helped you survive these kinds of challenges. Sure. So so when you're faced with these realities, and again, I've been in ministry full-time for 20 years, so uh, you're a faith-filled guy, you're asking God for greater faith and trust every day, but you're not usually expecting this type of experience. God takes you to a place, a dark place, a place of almost to the brink of despair. When you're sitting in a white room chained to a table, <laughs> You have a couple options there. You can fight it. You can yell. You can get angry. Um, For me, it was the most peaceful, prayerful experience of my life. Mm -hmm. I was literally at the foot of Calvary, uh, just flood of peace over me, praying without ceasing for Mm -hmm. six plus hours, calling upon all the the patrons uh, for me that I've had over the years, but thinking of all the the martyrs and the Christian witnesses and the saints over the years and invoking their intercession, my guardian angel, feeling the presence of my guardian angel. I've never been closer to Christ in my life. And so I think that's because instead of surrendering like, okay, the feds have me, it it was a different surrender. It Mm -hmm. was a surrender to God and, mm-hmm. and placing at the foot of the cross and literally just Lord, Lord, you have to protect my family. I don't know when I'm going to see them again. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I'm going to see them again. Um, but I had to just trust that all would be well. And I knew that I was in the will of God. Yeah. So there's a unitive way of this journey in life right. where our wills are united with God's will. And that's a very interesting level to be at probably most of the saints get there but most people probably never arrive at it probably the first time in my life that i felt that my will was completely united with god's will mm-hmm. and that gave me great peace yeah. and uh and joy yeah. i had great joy in it yeah I, I was almost thanking god i i think in my prayers like that you chose me worthy and my family my wife and my children yeah. worthy unworthy servant that i am mm-hmm. to suffer in this way Right. And to enter into becoming more like you mm-hmm. uh, through it mm-hmm. was really a grace. It is. You were completely humbled, and that's what happens, right, whenever you are completely humbled in such a manner. Because especially for men and the way that it happened for you, and what else could you do but to yeah. fall fall at his feet and say, help me, Lord, and, and thank you for, for with gratitude, right? I mean— because you know you weren't there by yourself, and he was going to use you, and you you knew that, and and he is going to, and he's doing it now. I mean, look at you right now. I mean, I I'm sorry, like for your children and for your family, because right. real fear is real, and I don't want to discount that at all. And the scars that they have upon them, you know, I I pray that that would heal in a way, and 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 soften in a way that just that that God can use them, and it doesn't. Yes. you know, harm them further, right? And, and I believe right. that that is going to happen because they are part of you. They're part of this story. And so God has them too. And we'll continue to pray for them in, in that manner and that they will be protected moving forward and continue to be courageous and walk in strength and know that they are survivors 
And I, I, I think that's all part of it. But, you know, when you say that, so thank you for sharing that, because I was going to ask sure. you, what did you learn through all this and, that, and sharing that experience? No one would think that a person of, uh, that was outside of faith would not have that peace that you had and even joy in the midst of it that you did. Yeah, and, and it continued, right? So five days later, there was arraignment. Mm. So I, 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 the God, gave, God gave me insights that this would be my own personal Via de la Rosa, the way of the cross, right. the sorrowful way. And so I, I saw each moment in the journey of four and a half months up to the trial, which was January 24th, as a journey to my own personal crucifixion. <laughs> and, uh, and I saw the stations of the cross in the midst of all that. And as a good Catholic, I, I, I entered into that. I saw, I saw Veronica's, I saw Simon's, I saw the women of Jerusalem. I saw me stumbling in the midst of that journey and me falling under the weight of the burden, the gift of that burden, uh, falling on the weight of the expectations of people, being called a hero and then a villain and At knowing the that time. the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's such a powerful, that's a powerful testimony because what you're really saying is you come to the point where you know you are great, you're a graced person, you're a forgiven sinner, and you're called to bear the gifts of Christ to other people, even though they can look at you and say, you need them as much as I do. And the answer to that is you're absolutely right. And I think, again, uh, to me, you're a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego type of guy because you're standing right by the fire. And <laughs> you looked at Nebuchadnezzar and you just said, well, um, you know, we'll testify to who this God is that we love and follow. But even if you throw us in that fire, we will not change our view. <laughs> and so, you know, to that degree, you have given a great example of what it means to be a father uh, to a lot of men today. So what do you want people to know? Well, you know, having just finished up the trial, we're, we're in really the next phase of, you know, a bit, beginning to expose this evil. Let's call it for what it is. Uh, and then God can use evil for good, right? He's mm -hmm. been doing that forever. So, uh, but we still need to do our part. And so I'm going, I, I was just invited to the State of the Union. Mm -hmm. I had a vision that I would go to the State of the Union, never thinking I would be going to this year's State of the Union. But I went to the State of the Union with my wife. She sat next to Jill Biden of all people, and uh, and and Bono from U2. I'm all the way across the room watching her, you know. Uh, and I'm experiencing this surreal, yeah. but I'm I'm scheduled to have an interview with uh, the Judiciary Subcommittee members in advance of the oversight of the weaponization of the FBI and the Department of Justice. So we're going to begin that process of exposing what needs to be exposed, and we'll we'll again be a willing to to offer our family and our children as as victims in all this but also as people who are willing to stay in that fire and not run from it because mm -hmm. um frankly we're going to be better for it mm -hmm. our country will be better for it fathers will be better for yes. it men will be better and the pro-life movement will benefit from it that's right Exactly. Wonderful. So you're going to continue. So because my next question was going to be, will you continue to defend life and pray outside of the clinics? But it's clear that you will continue to do what you've been doing. They're not scaring you away. I returned yesterday with my whole family. We were there at the same location. I, I mean, look, nothing changes but the date, right? The mission goes on. I, I couldn't go there for four months. Now I love your wife. Like, I love I her. felt like it was a homecoming, you know. I, I It was like 
I give so much of my life to this place. It was like I was coming back to my high school, you know, like re revisiting all my friends. And uh, so it was a beautiful day and it was a glorious day. Great weather in Philadelphia. And of course, we just continue to do what we do, which is help women and men. That's that's yeah. right. It is helping women and men. It's not just helping women. It's helping women and men. Families. It's helping right. families. That's right. And your children will, like you said, continue to join you. As yeah. much as we can get them there. Yeah. They got homeschool to do most days. I know. <laughs> and and yeah, and you don't want to unburden them, but you know, if they if they want to come and do that. Sure. Yeah. That's a homeschool lesson. Yeah, it is. It, it's a homeschool it, they get credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> We're all about that. Yeah. Anything else that you would uh like to share before we close because it's just been such great, a great talk great great talk I, I have to tell you i will and and the one thing i would share is just the the love of the world um one of the things that we experience in this is just an outpouring of great love and support from people all across the world and and i think that was again god god's way of strengthening us i had a, a, an email from a guy and, and and it came through the lens of the church the catholic church and he said i'm a lousy catholic uh, but seeing what's happening to you is making me go back to church. Mm. And I thought, you know, I would do it just for that one guy. I'd go through the whole thing all over again because to me that meant so much yeah. that my suffering would compel him to move back to Jesus yeah. in some way, shape, or form. And I thought, man, that makes the whole journey worthwhile. But I got to tell you, we have Mother Teresa's nuns in Calcutta praying for us. We had Uganda, a village in Uganda, sending us encouraging notes, uh, Canada, Australia, all across Europe, United States, of course, just tremendous love and support. So yeah. we felt it. So I want to just tell your audience how grateful I was for that and my it's wife beautiful. and children as well, and that we love them too, and that we've been praying for them and we will continue to do that. But we also need to ask them to continue to pray for us because I think it's going to get harder before it gets right. any easier for us because now we're a bit of a target um, and uh, the federal government doesn't like us. And, uh, you know, they may come after my ministry next. Who knows? But we, by the grace of God, go I, right? So we're just, we're trusting in his goodness. And we know that there's nothing we can't do with him. So um, anyhow, I just ask for continual prayers. Absolutely. And you have yeah. them. Mark, what is the best way for people to follow you and to support you? How can they sure, they can them? go to thekingsmen.org. And that's uh, going to link them to all our ministerial efforts, but also will link us to the support that they can lend to the legal fight and uh, also encourage them to check out thomasmoresociety.org, who who literally handled the, the legal fight for us from a financial perspective, really took that burden away from us. So if anyone runs into any challenges, uh, go to Thomas More Society. Thomas More Society and the Kingsmen.org. Org. Org. Yes, I have to say that website's really lovely. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, and thanks for standing in the gap, my friend. Thank you and so much. And we will much. stand there with you as we And we'll we can. pray for thanks, you, Brad. pray for thanks, your family, Brad. and thank you for this time. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Anytime. We really, really appreciate it, and we'll keep in touch, and uh, yeah, and if, if, if there's anything that we can do for you, we will do it, and uh, yeah, so thank you for being with us, and thank you listeners for spending time with us. And remember, there are two kinds of fire in the world. The one that burns and consumes. And the one that burns and empowers. May God's word and God's love burn brightly in you, giving you strength to face any fire. Till next time, little embers, <laughs> I'm Marie. And I'm Greg. See, See you, you soon. Through the Fire is a production of Family Vision Media. FamilyVisionMedia.org